Good morning. However long you have been in Marion going to IWU, whether it's been a couple months for you freshmen, whether it's been um, a couple years or maybe more years than you thought you would be here, I have a question for you, and I want to know if anyone here thinks they know the answer. And I'm going to ask, you can call out what you think, okay? My question for you, how many churches are in Marion? Does anyone think they know? You can shout out answers. What do you think? How many churches are in Marion? Two. No. 40. 48. 75. 27. 200. 150. Okay, okay. Good guess, dude. Okay, we have the results. Because I have done my research, I have looked into this, and I have the answer. How many churches are in Marion? One. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so whether that made you laugh at me or roll your eyes, it's true. It's true, and if you haven't taken theology yet, which if you haven't, please take it. You need that gen ed. Theology, we learn that the, the lower C church, the little C church represents the local church, and the big C church represents all the local churches combined, the body of Jesus Christ. And today I wanna to talk about the church because a lot of us sit here with different like opinions and and experiences that we've had and questions. We may be sitting here asking, okay, Olivia, if, if the church is one united body of Christ, why are there so many different buildings with so many different doctrines, so many different arguments that lead to pain, that lead to hurt, and that lead to disunity? And I've asked these questions myself, but who are we to ask these questions? Aren't we the church? If you have your Bibles, please pull them out, a physical Bible. We're going to open to the book of Matthew. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 13. And I just want to say, having a physical Bible has, has changed the way that I read it and how I grow in my faith. So I'd encourage you just to carry one around with you. It's great to have. So Matthew chapter 13, we're going to start at verse 24 where Jesus is standing by a lake and a crowd starts to gather around him because they want to hear what this teacher has to say that they've heard about. So he sits on a boat and people stand alongside the shore as the crowd listens to what this teacher has to say. So if we look at Matthew 13, starting in verse 24, he teaches a parable and this is what it says. Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, the enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. And when the crops began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest, then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them in bundles, and to burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. 
Many times when we read parables that Jesus taught, we don't get an explanation, but this parable is awesome because we do. So later in this chapter, if you look at verses 37 to 43, Jesus explains who is who in the story that he tells. He explains that the farmer represents the son of man, Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed is the people of the kingdom, the people of God. The weeds represent the people of the evil one. And the evil one's the enemy who planted the weeds, the devil. The harvest represents the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. So the farmer took the time to find good soil, to till the earth, to plant each seed, to hire the workers to take care of this field, to produce something so good when the time for harvest would come. And in a moment, an enemy comes in to plant weeds among the good things that were going to grow. Imagine the devastation of the farmer after that work and time put into this field. Now imagine the devastation of our creator who made something so good, who made the moon and the stars, the vegetation, the waters, animals, humanity, and it was good. And in a moment, history was changed because an enemy came to plant the weeds of sin in this world. Imagine the devastation. When I read this parable, I don't only see a picture of the world. I see a picture and a reminder to me of the church. And I think about the questions that we can ask, the questions of why, why is there hurt? Why is there disunity? Why is there hypocrisy? Why are the, is there complacency when we're supposed to be in community like our triune God? But because of the enemy and because of sin, there are weeds among the good things that are growing, even in the church. And we can't help but recognize them. I know that when I see wrong, when I see people who are doing wrong, especially wrong to me, I want to point them out. I want to say, that's a weed. You are a weed. That's what I want to say. And that's what I want. I want to diagnose the weeds that I see. And I would ask the same question that these workers did when they asked the questions, should we, should we uproot? Should we pull up the weeds? But the farmer says, no, you'll uproot the weeds if you do. Okay, but what, what about the hatred and the lies and the hypocrisy and the horrible things that people do to us? What about those things? Shouldn't we uproot those weeds so that good things can grow? I think in Jesus' time, I would have looked at the Pharisees and I would have pointed at them and said, those are weeds. Because they were people who claimed to know God. It looked right in the face of God and denied him. I would have called them weeds. And I would have said, should we uproot them? Matthew 13, 29, no, you'll uproot the weed, the wheat, if you do. Syrian farmers understand why this farmer said, no, don't pull up the weeds. Syrian farmers that grow corn are well aware of a weed called ryegrass, which grows very heavily among corn when you grow it. And this weed looks very similar to corn until it gets close to the time of harvest. The only way you can tell it apart is when it gets close to, the ryegrass turns black so you can see the difference. But after all that time of growth, when you get close to harvest time, farmers do not want to pull up those weeds because the roots are intertwined and mixed in with the roots 
of the good crop that is being grown. And you don't want to pull that out before it's reached its potential and had its time to grow. So when we recognize weeds among the people of God, and all we want to do is uproot them, what if when we attempt to do so, we are also hindering the good things that are being grown in the church? Let me explain what I mean. We can uproot weeds by tearing people down. We can with our words. I've heard so many hurtful things said from one believer to another believer. There's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain, a lot of hurtful things said. And it also breaks my heart when I see things online and see things that people are talking about saying to the rest of the world, I don't blame you for wanting to join the church. We're pretty terrible. It breaks my heart. Because yes, to that I say yes, we, the church, are people. Imperfect people who are being perfected by our Holy Spirit if we allow him to. And listen, today there really are some hurts that we have from people who claim to be followers of Jesus that have really hurt us. And I understand that, and please hear me out. I don't want to step on anyone's toes if you have situations like that, because there have been moral failures, there have been abuse and lies from people like that in our lives, and I understand. And I, I have seen that my, in my own life, but I constantly need to remind myself when people are hurting me, when people are doing wrong and all I want to do is call them a weed, it's not my job to uproot them. The farmer told the workers, no, don't uproot them. The harvesters will take care of that. And these words that we can say about the church when we are hurt by one or two or three people around us, when we say, okay, they're in the church, the church has hurt me, I believe we're not just hurting those people, we're hurting ourselves because we are the very thing we are tearing down. We are the church. We are the church. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. And I believe we do a disservice to the universal body of Christ when we are tearing each other down. Because a lot of times the problems that we see are the ones right in front of us, right across the street from us. But think about those who are leaving everything behind to go serve the impoverished and the poor and those caught in slavery and those who can't afford education, those who have never heard the gospel, who don't have a translation in their language, people who leave everything behind for a lifetime to serve others for the sake of Jesus Christ. Think of those who have to hide this book they have to hide it because they can't be seen with it. They can't let people know they are followers of Jesus because it's illegal. But they want to continue to be poured into and be a part of the body of Christ. I think about people who are literally giving up their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. Why would I apologize for that kind of life lived? Why would I apologize for that kind of devotion? Because that is the church too. That is the church that we are a part of. And if I could, I just want to share some amazing things that I've been hearing about the church. 
I don't know if you knew this, but it's estimated one million middle school and high school students gathered around the world to pray at CU at the poll this year. One million students. Yeah, it's awesome. One million. A church in Puerto Rico called Iglesia Cristiana Monte Olivar has been opening their doors to their community after all the devastation and all the hurt. They open their doors every Sunday morning without power themselves like most of their country. And they bring people in and they pass around an envelope every morning to give to those who are in need, even though the people who are giving are in need themselves. What a beautiful picture of the church. First Baptist Church of Naples in Florida. After the devastation of Hurricane Irma, they opened their doors and served 30,000 meals a day to people who were in need after that devastation. 30,000 meals a day meeting the needs of the people in their community, being the hands and feet of Jesus. I think of church plants through different churches that we are a part of. My home church back at home has planted a church in Nagpur, India, where people are able to gather and to know Jesus. And there are salvation after salvation stories and baptisms. And I love hearing about it and connecting with them because it helps me remember we're one church. This past May, I got to attend something called the National Youth Executive Council in Washington, D.C., where executive leaders of national youth ministries gather together to pray and to talk about what's happening across our country. While we were there on May 3rd, it was the National Day of Prayer. And I don't know if you knew this, but thousands of people across our country on this day every year commit their time and their services to pray for our nation to pray for our leaders, to pray for the younger generations behind us. And while I was there, all of us, we got to attend a service with hundreds of our brothers and sisters in Christ while people from all around the world were leading us in worship. And behind the stage, I, we were on the lawn of the Capitol building. How crazy. I was worshiping and the building was right there. And our leaders of our nation were just casually walking through this building and I was just worshiping and praising God because there are people in the heart of our nation who are circling that city, praying and crying out to God for revival in this nation. Three years ago, I had the privilege of being a part of a night of worship at my high school. We called it Enlightened. We wanted to lead a student-led night of worship and see God change our school and what started as one night of worship, turned into a ministry where now thousands of students are gathering across the nation in their public high schools to gather together and to worship and to share testimony. And I now get to serve on a team of college students who get to mentor high school students as we get to see these events happening. And two years ago when I came here to school, um, there was a girl named Madison who was a sophomore in high school and she told me, after hearing about this movement, after hearing about this ministry, she wanted to be a part of it. She felt like God was calling her to lead this night of worship. And when asked the question, okay, Madison, you're doing all this work. You're going to play in this event. Cool. What if 10 people show up? Who's going to show up to something like this? And she looked so confidently at the person who asked, and she said, it doesn't matter. I'm being obedient to God. And whoever shows up is going to hear the good news of Jesus, and their lives are going to be changed. Man, she taught me so much more than I taught her. She had 300 students gather at Marion High School to worship that night. 300 people, yeah. 
And I think of people like that, young people who are the future leaders of our church. Last year at our Fusion Conference that we hold here every year, hundreds of students made decisions to follow Jesus. Hundreds of students made decisions for Christ. And one of the coolest moments that I've seen here in this room was when over 100 students came forward. Whew, gets me every time. 100 students, over 100, 130-something came forward to, the, to these altars and they accepted a full-time call to ministry because they wanted to see the church do good in this world and they wanted to serve the church with their lives. People that are 14, 15, 16 years old felt that call to full-time ministry. Good things are happening on this campus too. A couple weeks ago when we gave an offering for Hurricane Irma, we raised $1,300 together, together to give towards that. And I think if we all carried cash in our pockets, we, we could have given much more, right? But that's awesome. That's awesome that we could give that. And I don't know if you've heard about this, but a few weeks ago, the Iowa Athletic Department had a commissioning service for their athletes. And nine students felt so compelled by the transformation that had happened in their life through Jesus Christ that nine people got baptized in our rec pool. How awesome is that? Praise God. There's a lot of wheat growing in the field. There's a lot of good things that God is doing through his church. But when good things happen... The devil wants to fix our gaze on the weeds that still remain. Because yes, the weeds are there. And, and they, when I read this parable, it drives me crazy. I'm like, you've seen weeds among the flowers. They are ugly. They look horrible. And they also take the nutrients away from the good things that are trying to grow. Why would we keep the weeds there? And, and we see the repercussion of sin in this world. We live in a fallen world, and the weeds may be driving us crazy because there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain because of them in this world. And so often I find myself amongst the pain and seeing that to point my fingers, to point the blame to the weeds that I want to diagnose around me. As I studied this passage, as I had conversations with people about what this meant for my life, how I could live this out, I came across a scary question. What if, what if I'm a weed? What if I'm a weed? You see, because weeds... They take more than they give. They aren't producing good things when harvest time comes. They take away the nutrients that the good crops need to grow for themselves. And when I start complaining, when I start pointing my fingers, when I start condemning, when I start saying, it's your fault, it's your fault, I don't like you, you've hurt me, I am not producing the good things that I'm called to grow. I am to quote James 3, with my tongue, praising our Lord and Father, and with it, cursing human beings who have been made in God's likeness. And I may be hindering good that could be happening by tearing down the wrongs that I see instead of being the change that I know can happen through the church by the power of Jesus Christ. If I'm not giving, I'm a weed. And if all I want is for the weeds to be uprooted and taken away, I will be uprooted as well. 
I was a junior in high school. My heart broke for a lot of my peers in my youth group because friend after friend stopped going to youth group. Our youth group nights were on Wednesday nights throughout the week, and because of homework or practice or rehearsal, students stopped going. So me and a few friends went to our pastor. We said, can we start just leading some simple nights of worship, some simple nights of testimony and devotion on Sunday nights for people to come and to gather together? And with the support of our pastor, we started meeting in each other's houses, meeting in our basements and our living rooms. And each week, 50 to 60 students gathered together, and we worshiped, and we shared testimonies, and people's lives were changed. And it was crowded, it was hot, and sometimes it smelled really bad. But it was some of the best times of worship I've ever been a part of because we wanted to be there together. We wanted to gather and seek Jesus together. And there there were good things growing. There was wheat growing in the field. And I stepped back and I remember thinking, this is the church. This is the church, the body of believers gathering together and growing together. But among the wheat, there were weeds. I remember a good friend came up to me a few months after we had started this ministry. And we had a really rough conversation. He um, told me, first of all, that I should stop bleeding and that he should. And proceeded to tell me everything he thought was wrong with me. And said, this, this, and this, this person is with me and they're behind me on this. And I don't, I don't tell you this to make you feel bad for me. I don't tell you this to tear him down because listen, listen. When he said those things to me, my heart was full of hatred. I hated him. I was so mad. I said, okay, how, how can you just want to tear me down after all I want to do is help serve the Lord? All I want to do is help these people gather together. All I want to do is see unity and you just want to tear me down? You're a weed. And I proceeded to point my fingers at him and give him hatred and say horrible things back to him that I don't want to repeat because I'm ashamed of what I said to him. And when all I was doing was pointing my fingers, I myself was contributing to disunity, was contributing to gossip and to tearing down the church. And I was a weed. And I tell you this because through all of that, Christ was still glorified. We continued to meet, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, we found reconciliation and forgiveness. As we continued to meet and worship and gather together, people's lives continued to be changed. And it was a reminder to me that when Jesus sees the church, he chooses to call the church his bride, despite her mistakes and the sin that still remains, he chooses to call the church his bride and he gives her new mercies every morning, every morning. I want to show that kind of mercy to people who hurt me. And I pray, I pray that people will show me that kind of mercy when I hurt them. So when we step back from the church we point fingers we can create a me and them mentality but we need to remember we are a part of this field we are we're not going to be uprooted until the time of harvest comes but when we're not producing the good that we are called to as followers of Jesus Christ 
we can become weeds ourselves. But when we choose to see the good that is being grown in the church and to devote our time and energy to helping it grow to its fullest potential, imagine the life that we can see in this field and in this world. Imagine what we could produce when the time for harvest comes. The farmer waited patiently until harvest time to pull up the weeds, patiently. And whenever I read this parable, I get a picture of the farmer looking over his field and when he says, no, don't uproot the weeds, you'll uproot the wheat if you do, I picture him looking at his field and saying, there's still good in there. There's still good in there. And it needs to grow until harvest time. It needs that time to grow. And through what Jesus has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection, we have been made right in the eyes of God. And he looks at this world and he sees you, his children, and he says, there's still good in there. I want to ask you today, What will you be in the field? What will you be in the church? What will you produce when the time of harvest comes? And I want to ask you, I want to beg of you to choose to see the good in the church because it is the vehicle in which Christ is going to use to bring reconciliation, to bring love, to bring hope to this world. He wants to use us. He chooses to use us to glorify him through the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. We are going to continue in worship right now because God is glorified in his body. And we are, we are the church. We are the church. And we are going to lift up his name together. There are going to be some students that have already been asked that are going to come forward right now who want to read scripture and proclaim the truth of God over you today. So as they come forward and as they read the scripture, I want to encourage you not just to sit back in your seat and observe. Don't be an observer. Let's be all in this moment. Let's rejoice in the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's rejoice as we hear these words proclaimed, and let's rejoice in the name of Jesus together.